Hey, everybody. Welcome my friend Gabe Howard to the podcast. Gabe is a mental health advocate, a speaker, and the host of the Inside Bipolar podcast. Thanks for being with us, Gabe. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. we. So I, if anybody's wondering, I met Gabe years ago at the Healthy Voices Conference. I've told you guys all about it as I've gone year after year. It's been a really inspiring event for me personally. And one of the events that I love because I don't actually have to do anything, which I know sounds <laughs> bad, but like I get to show up and learn from other people and it's beautiful. And everybody it's is the greatest, like, isn't it? It really is. And there's advocates from all sorts of places and spaces. And I think it's really, really great. Um, so that's how I met Gabe. Gabe is incredibly inspirational. And I love that you talk openly and honestly about your own experiences with mental health in, like you said, before we started recording, like I, you know, I can't be offended. I'm unoffendable. And I think unoffendable. Often, that, that's my promise to you. <laughs> I love it. That should be your tagline. But I think that's really beautiful because people get so concerned and they tippy toe around mental health issues. And then we can't have real conversations because we're too afraid that people are going to be upset. And especially in the era of cancellations and don't ask me that and don't say that. I feel like my biggest concern as an educator is that then we're not learning because my big fear of it. course is, is the, the conscientious language initiatives and, and everybody like everybody like breathes in like, uh Oh, uh Oh, and, and, and let, 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 let me explain. Mm -hmm. I am not against conscientious language in any way. And in fact, there's lots of great stuff to learn, but I'm also not against people describing their own experiences in whatever way they're comfortable with. So for example, I say I'm bipolar and people come at me all the time and they're like, no, 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 Gabe, you're so much more than bipolar. And I'm like, I know. Why did you hear the word just? I never yeah. said just. And, and I just, it, it's, you know, Katie, it's really important to me because like you said, people are afraid to have these conversations. If they're afraid they're going to use the wrong language and they're afraid they're going to offend somebody, they're not going to bring it up, which means they're going to internalize yeah. this. And, and I want to foster more conversations, not less. I love that though, because that's how stigma grows, right? Is in the quiet and the secret, uh, feeling like it's something to be ashamed of. That's why it exists. And so the more that we can talk about it, the more we can normalize it. And then as a therapist, then I'm like, then I can offer like resources or tools or things that we can do. Um, I'd like to start off just kind of at the beginning, if you will, like back at the beginning, but how did you get diagnosed? Do you have bipolar one or bipolar two? I know the answer, but I want everybody else to know. And tell us a little bit about that time in your life. So I have bipolar one, as, as I'm fond of saying, I'm number one. Yay. <laughs> We're number one. <laughs> We're number one. It's the only time I can be number one, like, like really easily. I, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after being committed to a psychiatric hospital. And if you would have asked me an hour before I was committed to a psychiatric hospital, if I thought that I had any mental health issues whatsoever, forget about mental illness, any mental health issues whatsoever, I would have said no. And if you would have asked me if I had mental illness, well, no, of course not. Those are crazy people. Those are, I, I'm not antisocial. I'm not violent. I'm not rocking back and forth in a corner. I'm not drooling. What's wrong with like, I would have taken it very, very offensively. And yet all the symptoms, like when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in the hospital, I was called a quote, classic representation of bipolar disorder, unquote. The doctor said it was the easiest diagnosis that he had ever made because like I just had so many glaring, <laughs> yeah, so many symptoms for so long and such a wealth of history. It wasn't even close. And yet I, I, I didn't, I didn't know at all. So that's how I was diagnosed. And, and of course that kickstarted just a, a, a lot, a, a lot how of things you, in my life. If you don't mind me asking. I was 26 years old. So I was really late. And, and I, I really want your audience to know, I, I showed all the symptoms starting probably around 14 or 15. My, me and my parents have really worked really hard to try to figure out exactly when the symptoms kind of popped up. And we've really come up with around 14, 14 years old. And yet it would be another 12 years before diagnosis because we, we always decided the symptoms were something else right? It was, it yeah. was hormones. It was puberty. It was boys will be boys. It was growing pains. It was Gabe's got a short fuse. Gabe is stubborn. Gabe is optimistic. Gabe is loud. Gabe is, we never assigned anything that I did to any sort of illness process, which of course left me in harm's way. Of course. And I think there is something to, there's a couple pieces here. First is that it's really common for people with bipolar one or two. And really quickly for anybody who doesn't know the differentiation between the two, 
the main difference is to be number one, we're number one, is to <laughs> experience mania. And that's really how it's diagnosed. Everybody has depression that has bipolar disorder. Everybody has some elevation of mood, but bipolar one means that we have hit mania. Now, I have videos about it if people want to learn more. However, it's really incredibly common for anybody with bipolar disorder to live a long period of time without recognizing that those are the symptoms because we all have ups and downs. We're kind of told that like life comes with its ups and downs. We've experienced it probably for many years and thought, well, these are just my ups and downs. Doesn't everybody well, feel right, this because way? Everybody's a little bit bipolar and I make an air quotes and Mm -hmm. And of course, what they mean is everybody has ups and down moods. So everybody is not, in fact, a little bit bipolar. Everybody just has a mood spectrum. But people with bipolar disorder have a much larger mood spectrum. But it, it is one of the things that makes it more difficult to recognize these symptoms in yourself. Yeah, because you're thinking, oh, this is just a good day. This is just a bad day. Like you said, Gabe is impulsive or excitable. He has a lot of energy. Gabe ha you know, gets irritable is agitated, has a short fuse, like the things that people could say to kind of make sense of it. And I will give like child psychologists, child psychiatrists, a lot of credit, like extra oomph here, because it's really difficult, even as a therapist to differentiate between hormones and mental illness. And sometimes, especially with my teenage patients, which I don't see, if anybody knows, I see primarily adults in my practice, but every once in a while, I'll see a teen because I feel for them. They've tried a lot of things. You know, um, I feel like I could potentially help, but there, it's hard to tease out hormone shifts. Even in my pregnant patients, it's hard to tease that out and make sure that, oh, I'm not over diagnosing because I don't like to do that. I want to make sure that we're being careful, but you don't want to do that at the cost of a patient not receiving the right kind of help because they go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed for years. It is super, super, super difficult because obviously let, let's take my teenage years. I had grandiosity where I thought I knew everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Show me a teenager that doesn't have that. I had mania yeah. where I stayed up all night. Oh, okay. Show me a teenager who doesn't have that. I had depression where I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to do anything. Oh yeah. That none of this sounds like normal teenage behavior. Uh, except that, of course, it, it does, in fact, sound like teenage behavior. So yeah. it is very difficult to determine when it becomes a problem. And I'm glad that you said, Katie, it does cut both ways. There there are a lot of people who have very stereotypical mood swings, and then they get a mental health diagnosis. And it, suddenly they're on medications they don't need, and they're going down a path that they, they, they need therapy, not medication. But then there's the mm -hmm. other way. There's, there's people who definitely need therapy, medication, they, they need, they need the whole mental health workup and they're just told, ah, you're fine. Uh, so this is, this is why we need more programs like this, more understanding so that we can really tease out that nuance and know the difference. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Because it is tricky. And that's why I always tell people, at least my viewers and even my patients, I'm like, no one should jump to diagnose someone quickly. It, it really, if we're doing it properly, takes us a little time to look for the symptoms and see them play out to differentiate it from other things because bipolar disorder can be misdiagnosed as just depression, right? If, and I don't mean just to downplay, I mean only one side of the bipolar spectrum, right? People yeah. will have the depressive episode and they'll think, oh, it's, it's depression only because they haven't seen the hypomania or the mania. And that's usually when patients also come in because depression feels shitty. So we're like, why would yeah. I feel like that? Um, <laughs> But, you know, it also ADHD, I've seen some overlap, especially with the impulsivity and the irritability. And you just want to make sure that you're getting properly diagnosed, like to your point, Gabe, that then you're on medications you maybe don't need or getting on a treatment plan that doesn't suit you. And, and if it that. doesn't suit you, it doesn't work. Right. So exactly. then we get people who say, well, I went to the doctor and I didn't get any better. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. because you, you got the, the incorrect diagnosis or, or and, 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 you know, and when I say incorrect, it's just, it's inaccurate. It's not it's, there's no blood test for this, Katie. And I, I think that maybe no. that is missed, right? You, you've got to be nimble in this. You, you've got to be open to change. You've got to be open to new information. You've got to share everything with your therapist, your doctor, et cetera. And, and you've got to be open to the idea that they're going to say, Hey, we, we think you, you, like you said, we just have depression, right? So, meaning mm -hmm. you don't have the mania, right? So they diagnose you with depression because they have to, for the insurance panel, they have to, yes. so they can keep seeing you. There's all of these other factors that we haven't even touched on. And then four yes. months later, they're like, Hey, we were wrong. You don't have depression. You have bipolar disorder. And many of us throw our hands up and say, Oh, you don't know what you're doing. You're just guessing. It, it's, 
it's a difficult, difficult process, but there, it, it is the process. Unfortunately, it just is the process. Well, yeah, because uh, unfortunately, we don't have a way to look at a working brain and be like, oh, this brain is showing signs of anxiety. This brain is showing signs of schizophrenia. This brain, we don't have that capability. We have, we're learning more than we used to know, and things are getting better and treatment can be more curated. But there's still this piece of like, you're like, as a clinician, right, I'm trained to look out for certain symptomology. I don't love the DSM, but we need it. We need a little bit of it, right? We to just at least categorize, is it anxiety based? Is it this, you know, so we're looking for those symptoms. And it's my job to notice them to try to look for the signs and to ask you the right questions so that you can share your experience with me to ensure that together we're going to come up with the right diagnosis. That's why I always tell people, I'm like, it's with their experience and my expertise. We work together. Right. Yeah. It, it's the partnership. It, you, mm -hmm. You've just described a partnership. It's not one person more important than the other. It's both people working in concert. Think yes. of it like doubles figure skating. Right. Mm -hmm. One person is not doing all the work. They both have to do the right thing at the exact right moment and you can win Olympic gold. But yeah. if one person is doing the wrong thing or if one person isn't part of the equation, you, you hit the ice fast. Uh, that's totally. what I wish more people would understand about mental health treatment. It, that, that partnership is is vital. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I know as someone who's been in therapy for like I'm in therapy now and I've been in off and on since 15, I'm 40. So it's a long time. Um, it's hard to tell the truth sometimes to your therapist and we can be ashamed. We can be embarrassed. I can't believe I did this. I don't know why I think like this, but if we don't share that, the therapist doesn't have all the information, right? I can't read your mind. And I used to joke that if I got paid extra, every time a patient lied, I'd have retired years ago, you know, like <laughs> I'd be living on Not a yacht untrue. somewhere in the Mediterranean. <laughs> But so I know it's hard, but I also know how important it is. And I've even lied to my own therapist through omission. And then I come back the next week and I'm like, I said that wasn't an issue or I didn't. I just was like, but it's an issue, you know, because there is a part of us. I think it's hard for us to admit when we know something's a little off or maybe we've been bullied about it for a while. So we're like, I don't want to tell anybody that. Just know that therapists don't get paid extra to judge. We actually lose our jobs, essentially, because that's not what we're supposed to do. And so it's important that we are honest. I love that you said the lied by omission part, because I think many of us upon here, well, I've never lied to my therapist. Of course, I've never said anything untrue to my therapist. But <laughs> lies of omission are, I, I think we we value them differently. Because we're like, no, 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 I, I didn't lie. I just didn't want to tell them that because then this would open up that Pandora's box where they would say, oh, well, maybe you did this or maybe you did this or maybe you did this. And you know what? I, I don't want to deal with that right now. And there's a part of me that like respects that. You're just you're like, look, I, I've come to therapists to deal with or I've come to therapy to deal with anxiety. Right. And, and this question is about mania or about depression or about just family relationships or, or whatever I, you know, and so yeah. I'm just going to leave that out. But the reality is, is it's connected. And when we leave that out, the therapist doesn't have all the information to ask the next question to get us to the next step, et cetera. Uh, but, but I, 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 I want to tell your audience, I, I, I've done it. I flat out done it. And, and listen, I'm, I'm going to do it again. Like I, 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 I <laughs> me too. Me I, too. <laughs> I, I need to be on, I'm going to do it again. I, I just, I know I am, I know myself and, and I, I, I I'm going to be too anxious to tell them, I, mm -hmm. you know, just you can be sitting across from me all judgy. And I love what you said about, we don't do that. I, I believe you intellectually. I know my therapist is not judging me and does not think about me when I leave. But, you know, my, my gut says, no, I'm her whole world. And she's constantly thinking <laughs> and, about me. And there's, a, we have to, you know, like we have to resolve those two issues. The reality is, is they're not judging you and they're not thinking about you after you leave because they have other patients and they have their own lives. I believe you said you wanted to go to the Mediterranean. Uh, so you're probably thinking <laughs> yeah, about the Mediterranean yeah. when we leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is, it is tricky to understand because the, the relationship's different, right? It's not like a friendship or a romantic relationship where you think about someone after it's like, Oh, they, I mean, I, I will say that with my patients, if we're struggling with something in particular, let's say I'm reading an article or watching a, even a video on YouTube and I'm like, Oh, that'd be helpful for them. So I will think about them that way. But 
to your point, it's healthy boundaries and it's a different dynamic of a relationship wherein your honesty to me only helps you. And without it, it, it's detrimental to the treatment and not in a way like, oh, you're really hurting yourself, but you're slowing it down for sure. I, I, I like that. It's yeah. everything about this is always like, oh, you're hurting yourself. You're killing yourself. You're never going to get better. And and I like your phrasing of uh, you're just slowing it down. I, I think it's good to look at these things realistically. Not every single mistake that we make in therapy is going to lead to the worst outcome humanly possible, uh, but yeah. it, it's going to lead to a place that you don't like and cost you time. Uh, yeah. I, I do think that we tend to over exaggerate sometimes the mistakes that we make in therapy uh, what's that called? Catast- I'm not a therapist, everybody. Catastrophizing. Uh, catastrophizing, right? Oh, I lied yeah. to my therapist today, so I will never get better. That's not yeah. true. You lied to your therapist today, and it's going to slow down your progress. And now you have an opportunity to fix it. And that can lead to real growth. That is much more mm-hmm. realistic to what's happening than I see even on a lot of like memes and, and, and uh-huh. Reddit threads. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not completely against memes and Reddit threads, but I, I do think that, that sometimes it, uh, they're, they're, they're not right. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Hey, look, this guy came on your show, Katie. And he said that the internet <laughs> isn't a good place. Like, I know, I know it's not, everybody not knows a it's take. not a good place. Yeah. But still, <laughs> but it's important to acknowledge because we forget because I love memes yes. just as much as the next person. Um, but yeah, there is, there is an important piece to, to the fact that we, it's not black and white. It's not all or nothing. And for, for years I've wondered, I'm like, I wish they'd do research on like why we we prefer black and white. Like our brains jump to conclusions. We're like, oh, well, it must be this or it's terrible. It's all good. It's all bad. But I realized a couple of weeks ago that I think the reason that our brains do that is because we're technically wired as creatures to seek out threat, acknowledge the threat and decide what to do about it. And so I think it's easier for our brain to be like, is this bad or is this good? Being in the gray doesn't, what do we do? Our, our nervous system's like, do I go fight flight or am I relaxed? Ugh. Like we don't really have a medium. It's hard for us to get that medium. And so I think that might be why we always want to jump to those all or nothing scenarios when most of life is in the middle. You know, I always tell my patients like playing it out is a really helpful tool. You can say is what's the worst case? What's the best case? What's the most likely case? And you know, that, it it takes some practice. It's a little new like muscle in your brain being like, I don't like to think like this, but it could be terrible. But if you already played out the terrible one, well, what else? You know, um, a lot of my audience members have questions about hospitalization. I want to read you one in particular that asks, it says, Hey Gabe, have you gone into the hospital voluntarily or not? Are you allowed to leave when you want? Or did the doctors get to decide how long that they keep you there? Has being in the hospital been helpful or has it been more helpful for you to stay outpatient? These are, these are, they're difficult questions to answer. And mm-hmm. uh, well, not like the first one, I was involuntarily committed, sort of. I, I okay. actually am, am happy to provide a little nuance here. So mm-hmm. I was committed to, I, I always say that I was committed to a psychiatric hospital because here was the deal. The, the, the doctor, the, the emergency room doctor said, will you sign yourself in to the psychiatric hospital? And I said, well, I don't know what happens if I don't. And he said, I'm going to commit you, but you can sign this paperwork. And the person who was with me said, you should sign that paperwork because you'll have more rights. So and that is correct. I, I did sign myself in, which means that if that doctor is like out there right now, listening to my shows, he's like, he's lying. I didn't commit him. But it was made very clear to me that I was going to be spending the night there no matter what I did. Yep. And I would have more rights if I voluntarily signed myself in. But here's the thing. I don't know that that's true. I don't know if it's true because even if you voluntarily sign yourself in, you still can't leave without permission unless that permission is from a judge that you fight for, which you're in a psychiatric hospital. Judges almost never listen to people in psychiatric hospitals. Uh, just ask Britney Spears. Uh, she was not in a psychiatric hospital, but she's rich. She's famous. She had the whole world watching her. And it still took her two years to get a court date to get out of her conservatorship. Now, mm-hmm. people are like, well, but Britney Spears, no, no, no. Don't pay attention to any of that. Only pay attention to the part where it took Britney Spears two years to state her case. We, yeah. we, we don't care the outcome of the case. Just if it takes a rich, famous woman that long to get a day mm-hmm. in court. How long do you think it's going to take Gabe? Gabe doesn't yeah. have 
anybody following well, him on Instagram. Like, like I mean, nobody. you have plenty of people, but yeah. But it's I mean, a, yeah, there, it, there's some have, people. <laughs> it's an important important piece there to talk about because I think a lot of people don't understand hospitalizations and being involuntarily placed on a hold essentially means that you're coming in with everybody on the staff knowing that it was involuntary. What they're saying by, I don't even, I don't want to say this is like cut and dried, but in my experience, okay, I worked in a hospital system for two years and did those intakes. So I would come down to the emergency room and see someone like Gabe, who's either in the midst of a manic episode, floridly psychotic, suicidal, any kind of thing like that, coming in with self-injury cuts and they're wondering what's going on. Um, I come down and I assess. Now, if you're like, hey, I'm not doing well and I'd like to, I'm going to sign this and I'd like to go into treatment. It's a much nicer process. Now, when it comes to rights, I don't know, like to your point when you're like, do you have more rights? Yes and no. It's kind of like a flag. It's like putting a feather in your cap of like, hey, I had the wherewithal to sign and to say yes. And so then when someone like myself and the head nurse are looking at your case, deciding if we should like let you out early because you want out or something like that, we're more apt to think that you could because you signed yourself in. Exactly. So, so it, you don't it have becomes rights, this like, but, yeah, yeah, it's, I, I, on one hand, I, 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 on one hand, I hate questions like this, Katie, because remember that what you said, black or white thinking, I want there to be an answer. I want you to tell you, like, follow this path and that will be the path that gets you the best care and the best, but, but there's not, and, and there, there, there's not, it, it's, there, there's so much left up to chance. And here's one of them. What's your zip code, right? Mm -hmm. Where you live determines the type of care that you get. I, I live in central Ohio, which is the 14th largest city. Uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio, near Columbus, Ohio, which is the 14th largest city. I believe the 18th largest metropolis in America, right? There's a couple of million people all here. We have lots of hospitals, lots of doctors, lots and lots and lots of resources. Not enough, but a lot. However, let's mm -hmm. say that you live in, in rural Utah and there's one hospital with yeah. four beds and there's one judge who went to school with your dad and they got in a fight on the football team because they both wanted to be quarterback. And, you know, your dad beat him, so he doesn't like him. And yep. you're thinking, dude, that's like a very esoteric example. Th th this plays out constantly. Uh, or you could live in a town that just has no hospital. And you're thinking, well, you mean a small hospital? No. I mean no hospital. And the yeah, nearest hospital is 45 miles. minutes away. Mm -hmm. And that hospital, because it's serving this giant area, right? Remember, you're 45 minutes away. They don't even have a psychiatric hospital because those are losers. Those things, those things are losers. Now you, you live in some States and like, we don't believe in this mental illness crap, right? That, that, that's yeah. BS. This is just a lack of responsibility and accountability. So we're not even going to address it at all. Uh, you live in California, you might do okay. While they don't have enough resources, they tend to have a lot. Uh, and, and all of this is dependent on how I would answer that question. And I just, Katie, it makes me sick. It, it, it just makes me absolutely sick that there are not black and white answers to that question, because yeah. that is a question that deserves black and white answers, and they just simply don't exist. Uh, but to answer the last part of it, to, to do a nice little hopeful segue, staying out of the hospital is always the goal. It, it yeah. really should be the goal for everybody. But I also want to say I am glad I, I, I was committed to a psychiatric hospital. It absolutely, unequivocally saved my life. It stabilized me. It got me a diagnosis. It got me my first psychiatric medications, which, which started the process of finding the correct psychiatric medications. Uh, I was then released into a step-down unit, which because I was committed to a psychiatric hospital, I was moved to the top of the list for, for, you know, for the step-down units, the, the intensive outpatient care. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything started to coalesce around me to get me a psychiatrist, a therapist, and, and all of those needed things and, and get me the wraparound services that I need all based on that psychiatric commitment. So while it was a terrifying domino, and while the answer to your question is, is a quagmire, for Gabe Howard personally, it was a very valuable and important domino, and one that I struggle to criticize for other people, because without it, I would not be here. Yeah, and that's what I hope for people to be truthful, is that experience. Because as someone who worked in the hospital system for years, and even in the IOP, PHPs, I worked in a residential facility, 
I've done everything, eating disorders, uh, you know, severe mental illness, everything under the sun. Hospitals are the worst and they're not necessarily therapeutic. However, for the points that you made, that's what it's there for. It's there to keep us safe because my patients, uh, my, my suicidal patients, this ensures they don't take their own life. For right. my bipolar patients, this ensures they don't uh, cheat on their husband and spend all their money. For my schizophrenic patients, this ensures that they don't get so terrified they stay out in the woods and won't come home and aren't eating, could get hurt, right? It keeps us safe and it allows you to get stabilized because they're going to medicate you. Will it probably be the medication you're on for the rest of your life? No. It's usually more heavy handed than we want for regular life, but it does do that. And I think that's like, even though I hate it because it, it's not therapeutic, it is the medical model for stabilization. And I think it ensures, like you said, it starts this domino effect, allowing us to get the right kind of help. Now, also to your point, we don't have as many, even in LA, I lived in LA for 20 years. We don't have a ton of mental health facilities because like, I want to uh, clarify something Gabe said about being the, them being losers, mental health facilities. What he means is they lose money. Yeah. And so people yeah. call them losers. Um, like ERs, ERs are also losers. They don't make hospitals a lot of money, which is so fucked that like our medical system is worried about making money. It just really agitates me, but that's a conversation America. for another day. I know capitalism. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, ooh, everybody <laughs> makes money except for the people who don't have any money. Um, Hashtag but, sarcasm. For those who are listening, you can't see the looks on our faces. We are being sarcastic. <laughs> Total sarcasm. Um, so yeah, those are things that lose money for hospitals. And so in LA County in particular, the scary thing for me was unless you had a really, really great insurance, which I even personally do not have. So we're talking uh, not just uh, like an HMO or probably like a PPO, but like a, let's say a gold PPO, like super expensive. You have to go downtown Los Angeles, which for people who don't live there, it's pretty sketchy, kind of this scary place. And you have to go to one of their hospitals because those are the only places that will take your insurance who offer mental health help because Cedar sinai uh, St. John's, um, they all shut their mental health beds down. And so it is unfortunate and we need more support that way, you know for people. So when we reach out, we can get proper help. But yeah, overall, I agree with Gabe on all points. And I think staying out of the hospital is the goal, but it can be a, a way to start your treatment. And it does keep you safe if you're feeling scared, overwhelmed, and you don't know what's happening or neither do the people in your life, right? Exactly. And, and I always like to build on this. I, 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 I love to take opportunities to point out how people with bipolar disorder are just like everybody else. Forget mm -hmm. about bipolar disorder for a moment. Every single person on the planet is trying to stay out of the hospital. That, 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 yes, that's normal. That's my, our goal. My father has zero <laughs> mental illness whatsoever, and he's terrified of the hospital. And he's like a retired teamster for Pete's sake. I mean, the man was a manual <laughs> laborer his whole life, and he's afraid of the dentist, the hospital, and my mom, right? Like, those are the three. But I, <laughs> I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in any illness space who is excited to go to the hospital, but sometimes... You need it. If my father is having a, a, a heart attack or an asthma attack or a stroke, he's going to want the people around him to call 911 to get him admitted to the hospital. In this way, if we are having an episode with or if I'm having an episode with bipolar disorder, I also want the people around me to admit me to the hospital, fully recognizing that nobody wants to be in the hospital. So in this way, I don't think that we're any different than anybody else on the planet. I, I just think because it's mental illness, because it's mental health, and 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 frankly, to your point, Katie, because it's it's more difficult to leave, right? We we yeah. feel like we have less control in a time when we're trying to gain control. That's I think where it becomes different from the 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 other hospitalizations. Um but but that said it it's going to be different as it's a different illness. And for all the reasons we discussed, there, there's only so much we can do, uh, but we can do better. And that's why advocates exist. Exactly. Yeah. And I think if we try to, cause I always say like mental health is health, like physical health, it's all the same. It's all connected. Right. I don't know why we treat it differently, but I think the piece we have to remember here, cause I always like to relate it to physical health is that if you were in the, the hospital with pneumonia, you're like, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. They're like, you can't leave. You're not well. 
right? And you have to sign yourself out AMA against medical advice. And they like, aren't helping you. They don't want you to leave. They're not going to assist you getting out. They're like, you're sure you want to do this. You really shouldn't do this. You can still technically do it, but on the psych ward piece, you cannot sign yourself out AMA. And I think the reasoning behind that, first of all, is probably stigma and misunderstanding, but I think it's also the fact that they know we're not in our right mind. That's why we're there. So they're like, you know what? I don't think you should be signing yourself out AMA. No one should really, but in particular, we always would. Like, I think after like six hours there, everybody in the hospital be like, absolutely not. I don't like this. It's <laughs> I want, not I want to be out. It's Mm-hmm. Th- this is the part where it's tough, right? Let let let's yeah. be, let's be honest. I I'm fascinated by uh, d- come with me on a journey, everybody. I, I'm fascinated by this, <laughs> right? So when we go to the hospital and we want to sign ourselves out because it's not good, and they say, "Look, you're you're not in your right mind, and we're not going to let you sign out." We're like, "Hey, it's it, it's stigma, it's discrimination. They're not listening to me. I can't believe it." And we're just you know we're pounding that drum. And and now no, hang on, hang on, it's it's about to go bad, um, but. Whenever we're having episodes of bipolar disorder and we yell, I hate you at our mothers, or we cheat on our spouses, or uh, we spend all of our money, we're like, no, it was the bipolar. Oh no, I have to, it's the symptoms of bipolar disorder and all these bad things happened. You have to forgive me. It's not my fault. Okay. Those two things don't go together, right? Yeah. You, it can't be bipolar's fault over here. And we're a hundred percent in control of our faculties over here. That said, there's still a ton of room for nuance. The reality is, is people with bipolar disorder do actively spend too much money, cheat on their spouses and and hurt people's feelings. Uh, And it has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with bipolar disorder. And the reality is, is people who are committed to psychiatric wards are in their right minds, have evaluated their circumstances and want to be released reasonably so and can't get released because of somebody doesn't believe them, etc. But the reverse is also true. And this is one of the things that makes it so confusing because I got to tell you, I, and 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 this this is the hardest part for me. If somebody that I loved was suffering from a, a, a mental health episode, mental illness, right, and and they were in a psychiatric hospital and they said, "I want to leave," and they were allowed to leave, and then they died that night because they should never have been allowed to leave. Who do you think I'm going to stare at? Who do yeah, you think I'm going to be angry at? I'm going to yeah. be mad at the hospital. I'm like, how did you let her leave? She thought a dragon was chasing her for Pete's sake. And we yeah. hear these stories over and over again. And this is why, and, and Katie, you're a, you're, a, you're a therapist. So you're, you're in the crosshairs on this one. This is the decision that, 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 that all the Katie's of the world have to make. You know, yeah. is Gabe able to determine this, knowing full well that if she determines incorrectly, right? If she makes me stay when I'm well, I'm going to be traumatized because I wasn't allowed to leave. If she lets me leave and I'm not well, I'm going to hurt myself or somebody else, or there could be some catastrophe. And I I just, I want the people listening to understand this because we tend to advocate for it as if it's black and white. Like it's super easy to make these decisions. And the reality is, is it's, it's anything but, and I, I do think we need to understand that because I think it will alleviate some of our own trauma and some of the ways that we think about it, that maybe if they made you stay an extra day, it wasn't discrimination. It wasn't because they don't trust you. It, it, it's that better safe than sorry mentality. It, it's still awful. I'm not denying that it's yeah. awful, but it's not for the reason that we think it is. And that, that helped me a lot with, with my inpatient hospitalization. No, I love that too. It's just perspective, right? Because as therapists, I call it the CYA effect, you know, the cover your ass. Like, because if I, let's say you were, I did hospitalize you and then you wanted out and I I didn't think so or whatever, or let's say I did. And then something bad happened. I could lose my license. Yeah, And that would be like taking away my ability to provide for myself. And And I have to imagine that you'd feel bad. (laughs) I just, I I know. Of course. Your like answer the, the is fantastic, but the... like, if you make the wrong decision, you're going to feel shitty. <laughs> just, I just, I don't mean to make I'm light of it. But... No, yeah. but so responsible. And, and that kind of responsibility comes with a lot of thought and slow processing. And that can mean that when we've got, we're only going to stay a day or two, we end up staying five. And that's because yeah. the therapist yeah. was worried and didn't have enough evidence that they felt that you were doing well, or you weren't stable for long enough that they thought that you could be out, you know, I mean, and there's tons of laws and we won't get into that because it's a little new, like there's so much to like, whether it's tear us off and if think you're going to harm someone or if you're going to harm yourself or whatever, there's a lot of it's that 
could go wrong. And that's why a lot of therapists, psychiatrists, any mental health professional will err on the side of, we'll just keep you in yeah. a little longer, which sucks. Cause like you said, it is traumatizing to feel like you can't leave when you're like, I'm an adult. I make my own decisions. And they're like, ah, da, da, da. not today, you know, and right. that sucks. That powerlessness is very traumatizing. It is. And I'm glad that podcast and, and, and look, I'm going to pound this drum all day long because I, I, I'm in this group. This, this, this is why people like me and Katie need to exist, right? This, this is why advocates need to exist. This is why everybody listening needs to have conversations with their peer groups, with their friends, their family, because there are people out there like me in the beginning who believed that the reason I was locked up was because they hated me, they had no respect for me, and they thought that I was violent. And it would be years before I learned that the reason that I was behind those closed doors is because I was actively suicidal and they needed to control the area. They needed to make sure that I couldn't get my hands on something dangerous. They needed to make sure that they could watch me. They needed to make sure I was safe. Well, that's a whole different feeling. Them putting all that effort into keeping me safe hit a lot different than them putting in all that effort because they hated me. And it yeah. took me years to realize this. And it's one of the reasons that I scream it as loud as I can, because there's a lot of people who they, they've been out of the hospital for years. They've been in recovery for years. And they're like, wait, we weren't locked in. I'm like, well, you were, but it, it was to keep you safe. And that, yeah. that feels different. And then we sort of talk that out. This comes up in support groups that I lead all the time, at least three or four times a year, somebody will realize that there was another reason for those doors being locked than society hates you. And, and that, yeah. that, that relieves a lot of pain for them. And but totally, it, it's again, almost it, like it, a, it's so nuanced. Well, no, but, but I do like that perspective or that shift, right? Because if we've been struggling with mental health issues or mental illness for a while, we can feel very judged very uh, hopeless very helpless very just stigmatized bullied whatever and of course then we're going to jump to that when we get hospitalized we're like oh they hate me they think i'm stupid they think i'm crazy they think something's wrong with me right and then all these judgments that we probably heard or seen whether overt or you know inadvertently shown to us it's easy to jump to that. But the, the truth is really what you're saying, Gabe, that it's it's all in an effort to keep you safe. It's almost the same way that your mom or dad, hopefully, if they were active parents, maybe they weren't, that's on them. We're like, don't go run out into the street. You know, like you have to stay in the backyard behind the fence, or you need to let me know when you get to your friend's house, or I'm going to drive you and drop you off. Like all of the protections that we have from our parents, it's kind of that same idea that like, you aren't like, you don't have your full faculties about you and we don't want you to hurt yourself or someone else. And so let's just keep you here for a little bit, keep you safe. It's like time out and then we'll get you better and we'll release you, you know, but the locking exactly. up, the locking up is what sucks. And I think that's the piece that is hard for people to understand and to accept. And I think we also need to say that it's okay to be traumatized by it. I, yes. I, I'm, I'm super fascinated with this idea that when people with mental illness are, are put into the hospital, committed to the hospital, and they say that they're traumatized, everybody's like, it's for your own good. It's for your own good. It's for your own good. What were we supposed to do? It's for your own good. But, you know, when somebody has a heart attack and, and, and they have to stay into the hospital for a week and maybe they mm -hmm. have open heart surgery, emergency surgery, and they're like, I, I, I was terrified by it. They're like, damn right you were. That sounds uh -huh. scary. Oh my God, a squad came to your house and took you there. And then you were in the hospital for three days. Oh my God. Yep. Are you okay? Here's some casseroles. Here's some flowers. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> we, we both got picked up, taken to the hospital against our yep. will and, 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 and had to stay because something bad happened. And yet I'm getting, it's for your own good. Suck it up, buttercup. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that person over there is getting free food. Like, yeah. I, I, I want the free food. They can't even eat the food. They're on a special yeah. diet because they just had right? surgery. I can eat the food. <laughs> I, that, that's how that's that's where my brain goes. No, I think that's true. the stigma part of this whole mess that that yes. people in my situation don't get casseroles. It's all about the casseroles. <laughs> really like no, casseroles. Who doesn't? You're from the Midwest, kind of, right? So I get. It. I can't help um, it. <laughs> it's in our blood. Um, no, but it, there is a big piece to that, though. That like it's treated differently, and it shouldn't be. And I think that's that's an important piece that if consider the fear that you would have if you got picked up by someone strapped to a chair taken in an like in an ambulance or in a police car 
dropped off at the hospital. Often a police car. Let's let's be honest. Often a police car. Unless unless your city has pet teams, which not all cities do, and they're very understaffed, but it stands for psychological evaluation team for those who don't know. And it's a great program. In LA, we had them, but again, understaffed, underfunded. But it's good that they exist because that means that then people like myself or people who are trained in mental illness will show up and evaluate and then decide. Um, But usually it's police. And so you are put yeah. in a police car. So imagine feeling like you're arrested, but you don't, you're like, what's going on? I feel very confused, very scared, very overwhelmed, very angry, maybe. And it only makes it worse. And then you're locked up in a hospital. I mean, you know, you have to think of that process. And of course, the traumatization, that's why, I mean, that's one of the many reasons why I don't love hospitalizations. And it's the last resort. And we're taught that in school. But again, that cover your ass, that CYA urge for a lot of mental health professionals can lead to that and misunderstandings from our family, right? They can call 911 because they don't know. And if we were threatening to kill ourselves or hurt somebody else or hurt that, you know, it can be really scary for them and they don't know what else to do. Um, But yeah, it's a really, it can be really shitty and it's, you have every right to feel traumatized and overwhelmed and to take your time processing what took place because it is a lot. A hundred percent agree. I absolutely recommend therapy for the trauma from, from mm-hmm. getting the care. And, and I, we need to normalize this uh, again, going back to the fell over at the family picnic with a heart attack and woke up after emergency surgery in the hospital where you had to stay for a week and then go through yeah. six weeks of physical therapy. And somebody says, well, clearly you're traumatized. The last thing that you remember was being around your family and you fell over. I don't know why I went to that very specific example, but many but people, no right? Yeah, yeah. Many people who describe having a heart attack are doing something, they're exerting themselves in some way. So, so they're mm-hmm. at work, they're, they're playing sports, they're, they're with their kids, they're with their family. And suddenly the last thing they remember is doing this fun thing. And then they pass out and they wake up in the hospital. Why wouldn't you be traumatized by that? And, and yeah. as Katie just so eloquently explained, it, it's a lot the same way for people with mental illness. One minute, everything seems normal. And the next minute we're behind closed doors. That's worthy of processing. And I, I would like to really normalize people being able to go to a therapist and saying, you know what, for, forget all of this other stuff. I, I know I have bipolar. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm traumatized by treatment. And I just mm-hmm. want to talk about that. And I want the therapist to say, okay, what parts? What can we talk yeah. about? How can we get over it? How can we work on it? What coping skills can we come up with? I, I would really like to get away from that. Well, what were they supposed to do? Well, what would you have liked to see happen? Well, you know, it was for your own good. I, I'd really like I to get that. away from that. I hate because that phrase, no for your own good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I detest that phrase. Well, because it doesn't, it doesn't say, you know, this is supposed to be helpful and I'm sorry that it wasn't. There's no acknowledgement of the pain or the discontent feeling. It's just a, oh, deal with it because it's for your own good. You know? Exactly. And it's very exactly. dismissive. It's dismissive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's super dismissive. 100%. I want to Did make I get all time. the answers mm-hmm. to all of those guys? I know there was a few in, oh, in, in yes. one. Did I get them all? I think you did. Yep. Voluntary. I did, yeah. and, uh, I notice yay. how like, you were here the whole time and I'm just like, I, 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 I. Everybody listening is like, what the hell happened to Katie? I'm so, oh, no. Did you we did get great. them all? <laughs> you, did, you did wonderfully. Thank you. So I want to make some time for the symptoms of bipolar disorder and the ones people don't like to talk about because I, there are members of our community. I've treated many uh, patients of mine with bipolar disorder who had embarrassing symptoms, things that they didn't like. I'll give some examples. And then if you feel open to talking about some of it, I would love that because I think there's a lot of shame. So one of my patients in particular would get manic and decide that he needed to throw big parties. I needed to spend all his money throwing these parties in which, you know, a few people show up and by then the mania had subsided because the party was like in two days or something, you know, no sleeping, building up to it and then starting to come down and then the depression would hit and it would be horrifically embarrassing. So that's one mild, not mild to downplay it, but like one symptom that he struggled with. I had another uh, patient of mine years ago, a woman who would go on shopping sprees. She had credit card debt. I want to say like 36,000 was probably the highest it got at one point. And and she wouldn't even remember buying things and they would just show up at her house. Uh, I've always, one of my tools, random tool that I always get people is remove your card from any kind of easy pay, click through. We need to put some barriers in place. Um, 
So there was that. And then I had a patient, this was in the hospital. So not as I would argue as close as my other patients. Cause I didn't see her for, I think I saw her for two weeks, uh, hypersexualized would go. She luckily, I mean, not luckily, but she had been divorced and it was, she wasn't with anybody, but the danger of STDs and pregnancy because she would sleep with, I don't even know how many people in a manic episode. And then she wouldn't even remember some of it. And then there'd be like terrible, terrible shame associated with this behavior. Those are just a few. Did I leave any big ones out? What are your thoughts on these? (laughs) There's, you know, overspending hypersexuality. I I would also add, you know, to, to the list, uh, breaking promises, right? That, that was like Mm. a big one for me. You, you had mentioned in, in the first example, you know, putting together this great big party, but then by the time the party got there, the, the mania had subsided. So, you know, there was an embarrassment, maybe nobody would come, et cetera. Uh, the same thing happens with promises, right? So Katie calls me up on Monday and says, Hey, Gabe, will, will you come on Friday and help me do X, Y, Z? And I'm really counting on you. Right. And I say, Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, by the time Friday gets there, I have cycled. I'm now manic, mm. depressed, anxious, whatever. Uh, so I decide that Katie is not that important and I go off and do whatever. And I don't even call. And in my mind, it's fine that I don't call because after all, I don't work for free. I don't know who the hell she thinks she is anyway. And, and just all of this stuff that doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, where, where yeah. did that come from, Gabe? That's, that's you just, what? And yeah, but that's my operating thing. So, but now Katie's mad. She, she counted on me and, and, and I just, I just completely blew her off. And then by the time Katie catches up with me a week later, uh, I'm now one of two things has happened. I, I, I either now realize I was wrong. So I avoid you like the plague. Which, of course, from your perspective is I have ghosted you. Uh, mm-hmm. And now Katie is left to be like, well, he, he cares so little he won't even talk to me. Or I get Katie on the phone and just, oh, my God, I am so sorry. Here's what happened. Um, and, you know, Katie, she's been my friend for a while. She's a therapist. She, she's like, look, I, I didn't realize that, that you were you were sick. I, I didn't realize that you were cycling. So, you know what? I'm going to forgive you because I understand that. Thank you for explaining it to me. She takes the amends. But listen, most of our friends aren't Katie. They're not therapists. Remember that stigma? So like, I don't yeah. believe you. You're, you're just passing the buck. Oh, you stood me up because you were bipolar or whatever. And, and then they start yeah. making fun of you. So now you're hurt because you know you're telling the truth. And they're even angrier because you're not taking uh, responsibility. I think all of those things woven together are definitely things that really hurt people with bipolar disorder, really get to people with bipolar. But I got to tell you, the the one on that list that's that's never talked about and people even remove it from... Like when I get hired to speak, they're like, don't talk about that. It's even removed from mental health Uh, conferences. Like, don't talk about your hypersexuality. That's the one that makes everyone uncomfortable to the hilt. But then we should talk about it. I mean, there's a big piece, like not to get totally sidetracked on this, but discomfort in many ways, especially when it's honest and when it's about something we're experiencing, discomfort shows us where we need to grow right? Like if I'm uncomfortable with a particular conversation, that means I probably need to have it. If I'm uncomfortable with a particular emotion, that means I need to explore it. If I'm uncomfortable with the way that someone is treating me, I need to speak up about it. Like I feel like discomfort shows us where change needs to happen or where conversations at least need to be had. And it's so frustrating. We're so pent up about sex. People get so uncomfortable with it. Yeah, everybody has it. So why can't we talk about it? Especially if we feel like it's putting us in a don't don't forget we use <laughs> bikini models to sell gum but mm-hmm. yet we can't talk about sex i it, yeah. it's fascinating our, our culture is fascinating to me katie fascinating. yeah it, it is it is fascinating um so yeah it's all of those pieces i just want anybody out there listening who's experiencing any of that it's very normal it's a very common part of bipolar disorder and even though there is responsibility to be had i don't want to let anybody off the hook and say like Oh, you don't, you know, you aren't your behaviors. It was your bipolar. Yes. But we, if we're aware of that and we can acknowledge that those behaviors are happening, then we can choose to do something about it. And that means speaking up about it. That means talking to a professional, potentially medication, treatment, therapy, all of those things combined so that we don't have to continue in that cycle. I think that's an important piece about bipolar disorders. It's cyclical. So even if we're out of mania now, we're like, oh, I don't feel that way anymore. It doesn't matter if we don't treat it, it'll come back around. It might be six months. It might be a year. It might be next week. Everybody's different. Um, And if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're not sleeping, it's going to come around more quickly, unfortunately, uh, at least in my experience with my patients. So speak up, know that you're not crazy. 
You're not losing your mind. Nothing's wrong with you. We just need to figure out how to best treat it. I don't know if you agree with that, Gabe, but those are my no, thoughts. I, I agree it. with, with, with so much of it. There's, there's, I agree with all of it. There's parts of it. I don't understand because I'm not a therapist. So I, <laughs> I, I just want to be like, like super clear there. I'm, I'm not sure what the best, uh, uh, treatment modality is, but I, I know that people don't bring it up. I have talked mm-hmm. to so many people, both, both men and women. They're just like, look, I, I go through these phases where I screw everything that moves. Right. And you know, cause they're, they're very mm-hmm. blunt because they, they feel like they can talk to me. And I'm like, okay, what does your therapist say? Oh, I would, I would never bring that up to her. Okay. What does your yeah. doctor say? Oh, no, no, no. I'd never bring that up to her. Okay. Well you're, you're telling me like, like I, I do think that I'm good at being a podcast host, but you recognize that I'm, I'm not a therapist. Right. So the yeah. best that I can do is, is tell you that I understand that's a real symptom. I can also tell you, like, like you said, Katie, you, you do have some controls uh, that that can diminish based on where you are in the cycle, uh, but you do have some controls. Um, it, it's difficult to say that because it, it, as somebody who has experienced hypersexuality, there were times I had control. There were times that I didn't have control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were times that I wouldn't have lost control had I only done these things before I got there. And yeah, as you feel also, the I'm a man. It was yeah. fascinating to me when you said she would realize that she had a whole lot of sex and then she would feel shame. And when you said that, I, I, the first thing that popped in my brain was why? Mm-hmm. Who cares? Female. You said she wasn't married. She can have sex with whomever she wants. Like what, what, where was the shame? Uh, that of course makes it difficult as well because people feel differently about sex. Mm-hmm. For me, I felt bad that I was cheating, right? Like yep. there was my shame. But when I was single, I didn't feel bad at all. I felt bad that I didn't remember it. I, I felt bad that I was out of control. I felt bad that the symptoms of bipolars were driving me, but I was an adult. I had consensual sex. I didn't, I didn't feel one iota bad about that. But depending on your religion, age, and, and gender, people feel different ways about this. So now you've got that all mixed in with the symptom. And yeah. to your point, why people need to be talking about this, what part do you want to address first? For some people, they want to address the shame of just having had sex. For other people, they want to address, maybe like you said, they didn't take necessary safety precautions. Uh, For other people, it's they blacked out. For other people, it's why does this keep happening? I'm trying to control my bipolar disorder. But the one thing that I know with a, a fairly absolute certainty is a lot of people don't even make it to the part where they tell their doctors. They just... They just don't say a word. And especially, especially if they're in a relationship or married, they're really afraid to tell anybody because they're afraid that their significant other is going to find out. And then, of course, this keeps happening over and over and over again. And I I do want to address just for a moment because here's where it gets really, really tough, right? So imagine if you have cancer and you throw up on your spouse and she leaves you. Because throwing up on your spouse is disgusting and awful, right? Everybody's like, why she left you? That, that's not a woman worth keeping around. Okay, let's say that you have bipolar disorder and you have the symptom of hypersexuality and you cheat on her and she leaves you. Everybody's like, well, yeah, you cheated on her. Mm-hmm. Duh. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, but I've just named two illnesses with two symptoms. And on one, you said that she was wrong. And on the other, you said that I was wrong. What's the difference? And people are like, well, there's a difference. I just know there is. Listen, I, I, I do recognize there is a difference. I'm, I'm not a fool. No, but it's an but ethical. It, it's closer than people think. Yes. And it's, it's a different, like we said, like sex is a tricky subject for people for many reasons. Um, I mean, from the therapist perspective, I think about safety. So I think like, do you know these people? Are you putting yourself in harm's way? What about STDs, pregnancy, all that stuff? That's what I'm concerned with. But there's also a piece of like, commitment and relationships and conversations that you have with that person. And, and everybody has different beliefs about that and what that means. And does it erode the trust? It's a very weird subject when it comes to relationships. And I think that's where conversations, again, if we're uncomfortable, we have to have them. And if we can't have them, then we can't. And I don't like to use the term fix very often, but 
then we can't manage that symptom. So like I said, it's cyclical. It'll keep coming back until we get a hold of it. And if we don't understand why it's there and we won't talk to anybody about it, well, then it's for sure going to keep coming back. And then it could really fuck up your life. You know, if it's like, right. if you are in a relationship and like, if you do get pregnant or you get someone else pregnant or whatever, like, you know, there are pieces that I think need to be considered and talked about. And again, I just encourage everybody, if you are uncomfortable with something, be curious, not judgmental about why that is. Why am I feeling so uncomfortable? Is this something that maybe I should at least journal about? Keep it between me and myself. Or then can I jump out of the journal pages and talk to my therapist a little bit, just a little bit, and then see, because again, we don't get paid extra to judge. We're actually paid to not judge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and trained I, not to judge. Like you went to school, yes. you had to pass a test. <laughs> Lots of tests, so many hours. But also no one gets anywhere by judging. And I think there's a huge human piece to being a therapist where you realize just how important it is to feel seen and heard and taken seriously. And none of that happens with judgment, you know, and I've had, I've heard it all. Like you think things are, oh my God, this is the word. I've heard it all. I've probably heard something that's gone on for longer or is more intense or happened to, you know, just, just know that we have heard it all. I wanted to finish our conversation, Gabe, with the last question. Oh, okay. I thought this was a awesome. good, a good ending. Nice. It says, hey, Gabe, I have bipolar two, And I was wondering if you've ever felt like you had a quote unquote breakthrough in your bipolar disorder. Not necessarily a manic episode. It's not what they mean by breakthrough, but a true moment of, oh, I can live my life like this and I, it can be enjoyable. I recently had this and it's been life changing for me. And I look at every day as that I'm alive so differently now. I, I was, I, I love this question and I wish that more people would one, ask it and two would really search their lives and find their breakthroughs. Uh, because I, I really feel like everybody has many, right? We, there, there may be one that's our favorite, but it's sort of like saying, what's the only song you ever listened to? Well, I listen to a hundred <laughs> songs, you know, I just, yeah. there, there's tons of songs I like. What's my mood. I, I do feel that about breakthroughs, but the, the, the breakthrough that, that I consider to be the one that changed my life and the one that is most important to me, it, it also just happens to be the first one. You know, the next breakthroughs, they're, they're just not as dramatic because I had already experienced a breakthrough. But when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I only knew one other person in the whole world who was ever diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And that was a gentleman by the name of Kurt Cobain. For those who don't know, he was the lead singer of the alternative rock band Nirvana huge, huge band in the nineties. And he died by suicide. So when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I knew a rich, famous guy who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and then died by suicide. So yeah, what chance did I have? I'm not famous. I'm not rich. I'm not anything. I, I, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm a guy in, in, a, in a mental hospital, right? Diagnosed with an illness that killed a rich dude. Hard stop, right? So, so I just thought I was dead. Right. And then put all the stigma, discrimination, misinformation and misunderstanding that I already came into. And I was just positive that life was over for me. Right. I, I, I gave up all of my dreams in that moment, gave up all hope. Uh, in, in fact, I was positive that I was going to have to live in a group home because I thought that's where mentally ill people went. Right. That mm -hmm. was my level of understanding and intelligence. Now, I was released from the hospital. And, and I went to a step-down unit. And one of the things that you did in, in the step-down unit, I, I went four days a week uh, in the beginning and then three days a week and then two days a week, hence step-down, right? Yeah. And, and somewhere in that six-week period, I'm not 100% sure where, uh, one of the things that we did during that day is we went to group. It was just a group. Now, the, 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 the group was also open to people who were not in the step-down unit. So, so I was there as part of the, the, you know, I was there for like eight hours, but people could just come to this hour and a half group. And we did this little check-in, right? Anybody who's been to group knows this, you know, hello, my name is Gabe Howard. I live with bipolar disorder and here's how my week was, you know, thank you. And you kept it in the present, right? It's a, it's a pretty standard check-in type thing. And this is how this group started off. And, uh, you know, I, I went, I have no clue what I say, said, and then there's this woman went and, and this woman at the time was probably about maybe 10, 15 years older than me, you know, but, but, but older than me. And she said, hello, my name is, I have forgotten, right? I don't even know her name. Uh, hello, my name is Jane and I live with bipolar disorder. And it's, it, it's been a tough couple of weeks. Uh, uh, my, my husband and I really aren't connecting that the, the house is always a mess. Work is really, really tough. The, 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 the kids, I just, I, I, I can't get a handle on the kids and I'm just, I'm really stressed out and I'm, I'm kind of afraid that I'm getting to the point where I, I'm going to take it out on them or I'm going to do something that I regret. And I just, 
that that's why I decided to come back to, to, to group because, you know, I want to get a handle on this while I still can. Okay. Now I don't care about any of that. I want to be very clear. I don't want to care about any of that. Here's what I want you to focus on. This is the first time in the history of ever that I heard somebody say, I have bipolar disorder, a house, a spouse, children, and a job. Yep. All yep. things that in that moment I thought were impossible. And this woman was doing it. This woman was doing it. And, and here's the last thing. She also was aware enough of her own emotions and, and, and had enough introspection to know that she was becoming overwhelmed and to seek help on her own. She didn't say somebody made me come here. See, I was still in the made to come here kind of mentality, right? I, I was still required to be there in, in some way, right? I was part of a step down unit. She didn't have to come at all. Nobody was even expecting her, right? She, she wasn't there the week before right? This group mm -hmm. met every week. I went every week. I, this was the third or fourth time I had been there. She just walked in one day off the street and said, Hey, I chose to be here because I have introspection and awareness of my own life and illness. Yeah. <gasps> this was amazing, <laughs> Katie. I just, I was like, I'm doing that. 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 And that, listen, there, in my life, there is one thing that I live by. It's easier to do something after you've watched somebody else do it. She mm -hmm. restored all of my hope just by checking in it, it as a little aside, Katie, it's also one of the reasons that I tell people, Hey, even when you're doing well, stick around group for a couple more weeks, just, just yeah. look at it as pay it forward. Just show up. And when you do the check in say last couple of weeks have been great. I'm doing really well uh, because people need to hear it. it. It's sort of like a way to kind of like, you know, pay back or volunteer. And, you know, eventually, like you said, no, nobody really shows up at a group or therapy or the hospital when they're doing well. but you know, there's, there, there's still a, that's just a, a helpful tip from Gabe. <laughs> no, I love that. And I mean, I talk about how, how much I love groups as well because of the, the shared experience and the understanding, but that's another layer is the hope for the future, the belief in the knowledge. Cause you're seeing it with your own eyes that it can yes. happen. Yes. And that's like, unfortunately, I, I feel like our society likes the the bad stories about horrible things. You need some good news, especially when we're in the throes of a mental illness. We need to know, hey, it can get better. She had a house. She had a husband. She had kids. She, she had a life. And by all intents and purposes, what she was talking about, she's like normal stressors, but she had yeah. bipolar disorder. And so she was like, hey, this could push me into mania or hypomania. I don't, you know. Exactly. So I should probably get a handle on it. You're like, oh, my God, you can notice that? and like do something about it, you know, your head explodes. Yeah. It, it was I, a mind blowing experience for me because again, up until that moment, I, I was still sort of in the, I'm either going to die by suicide or live in a halfway house kind of, Yeah, I, a little bit of that had, had sort of dispelled over the weeks. I want to be, you know, it's, you know, it's not black and white, uh, mm -hmm. but, but I, I did not, to, to be very clear, the life that I have now wasn't even on the radar when I was going through the, the, the step down program or for another couple of years. If somebody would have called me up and said, Hey dude, someday you're going to be married. You're going to own a house. You're going to drive a nice car. You're going to have your own business. You're going to host a podcast. You're going to travel the country and meet cool people like Katie. I would have been like that. that that's nuts. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a part-time job and I'm going to just do my best to just barely hang on. And hopefully I don't have to live with my parents. Like that was where my thought process was. And yeah. it, she expanded the world. And, and listen, I, I do believe that many people with bipolar disorder are like goldfish. They will grow to the tank that they are given. And I think that a lot of people with bipolar disorder absorb the message that all you can do is be on disability or all you can do is get a part-time job or all you can do is have a caregiver watch over you. And for some people, that is the reality. And that's fantastic. But I do believe that many people can do by far more. They're just absorbing the messaging that society unfortunately gives them, which is that you can't. I say, give it a try. The worst yeah. case scenario is that it doesn't work out. And then you yep. just back one up and you're good. Failure is not a problem. I, I just, no. listen, you either, what, what is it? What is it? You either succeed or you grow. I, yeah. that is my favorite meme on Facebook. I know I'm lame. You either succeed or you grow. <laughs> there is no failure. Yeah. I love that. And, and that woman has no idea how much she impacted you. I think that's what's beautiful None. about it too. She None. came just cause she needed the, she probably got something out of that group too. And that's what she came for. And yeah. How beautiful. 
thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your story. Where can people find you? How can they follow People along? can find me at GabeHoward.com. You can also buy my book, Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, anywhere. They, they sell it everywhere. But if you buy it at GabeHoward.com, I'll sign it and I'll throw in free stuff. The podcast Inside Bipolar is available on all podcast players. You can pretty much get it anywhere. And, uh, you know, you can also find me on Katie Morton's podcast. This is a really cool podcast. <laughs> I highly recommend that you check it out. <laughs> yep. On Ask Katie Anything, you'll see him there. But thank you so much for spending time with us. It's, it's really wait, helpful. Wait, I just it... realized that Ask Katie yep. Anything was AKA. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like also known as? Yeah. I'm slow. I'm very That's, slow. Did, we, did we you do are. that on purpose? Yeah, I did. I, I, Sneaky I, sneak. I, I apologize. You should leave this in so people know, like, the level. <laughs> don't don't edit this out. I, I want people okay. to know exactly what they're getting. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave it in. No, but I, I do you, love Katie. what you do. If you guys uh, listen to his podcast and listen to the things that Gabe puts out, it's really great. He has a great message, a great story, and makes it entertaining along the way. So thanks, thanks again for taking time to speak with us today. Hope to have you back. Thank you. Thank you so much.